Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I know you are here wanting to change and rewrite your story. You are desiring to step into the impact that you know you were here to create. I am here to guide you with the proven tools and strategies used by myself and our speakers to support you in taking radical responsibility in your life and learning how to own your choices to change your story. My name is Marsha Van Weinsberg. I am a storytelling business coach, master NLP trainer, speaker, podcaster, and seven times published author. My clients have found freedom and purpose from overcoming their shame stories and learning how to share them with the world. I am so grateful you are here. Let's get started. Welcome back to the show. Today, we are speaking with Ellen Winters. Ellen is the president and CMO of Ignition Communications and author. She is here to share a very real, raw, vulnerable story about her journey with breast cancer. And as a breast cancer survivor and a flatty that is advocating for better women's health and better choices for women on the breast cancer journey. Ellen shares her journey through all stages of her diagnosis, the emotion that she felt, what those early stages were like, the experiences. And along that journey, she made the conscious choice that she wanted to document it and wanted to be able to learn how to share her story, to support other women, to help them to advocate for their health and for their own personal choices along the journey. And as Ellen chose to document her journey along the way, Through this process, it led to her pictures being in People Magazine and continuing to become someone who is choosing to make a difference from her diagnosis and her experience. I've linked the article in the show notes, as well as by the time this releases, Ellen's book called Flat Please is available on Amazon. And She blows me away how she shares her story, how she openly and vulnerably shares these steps and everything that she goes through and the number of women that have now come forward and have gone to get a mammogram and to have been able to really reach out and thank her because now they don't feel so alone in their journey. I'm so grateful that we're able to share her story on the show today. Welcome to the show today, Ellen. I am thrilled to have this conversation with you and to share your story. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you, Marsha, for the opportunity. Oh, you're welcome. This is another piece of social media where it can bring people together. And I just, I, I think your story is very powerful. And I love the fact as we were just talking that it's not just the story, but it's what you've had to walk through and what you're choosing to do with it. So yeah. Can you take us back to that turning point day that you were just sharing? And we're going to start from there. Yeah, absolutely. So I was diagnosed with breast cancer. You know, that 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 call that you never want to hear from the doctor in, yeah. in March of 2022. Uh, and I had a biopsy, uh, you know, good Canadian medical system. They make you wait. So I had, I knew I had cancer on the 10th of March and I was, uh, I had a biopsy to confirm what type of cancer on the 6th of April. And then you're into, 
then you're into, as I say, they give you the plan. You start, you know, so the next step is to meet with a surgeon Mm -hmm. and start to explore the options. And, um, you know, as I was sharing with you, the the surgeon that first saw me at the time of my biopsy, um, he pretty bluntly said that I, you know, uh, I was not going to be a candidate for a lumpectomy. I had three tumors in my left breast, so it would destroy my breast. And so it was a mastectomy and chemo. And I was thinking, how, how could he possibly know this? But turns out he was pretty dead on. Mm. But anyways, at that time, I didn't know that. So I then meet with the surgeon. And, you know, there's a few different options. And this is where the choice comes in, you know, for women, you know, A, you're blindsided at the time. Uh, you know, by this news, you're frightened to death, even your partner, if you've got like a friend or your husband or your, your partner is with you, everybody's hearing white noise. Everybody's not thinking clearly. And they're parsing out this news that actually seems to be getting worse all the time, right? So it's just, it's really difficult to sort of step back and make good, solid choices about where you're going to go at that time. It's just, you have to be in a very interesting frame of mind, real clarity of thought. In, and can so, I just, and this you know, is one thing, can I just, one thing I want to say there is yeah. for people in that situation, like you've already been given that diagnosis. Now you're hearing white noise and now you have to make some very like big decisions in short periods of time. And I think that is a piece of, um, I, I have not been where you are. I have been in the room hearing that diagnosis and saying, mm-hmm. we'll be sending out the testing. It'll take about four to six weeks. And I'm like, what am I supposed to yeah. do till then? And they're like, go home and think good <laughs> yeah. thoughts. And I'm like, what? Like, it was just this. Yeah, and, every, and everybody in your, everybody in your circle is like, you got this, be strong. And you're like, uh, no, I don't. I, I don't and have this. I went home. I went home and like basically curled up on the couch and watched Shit's Creeks all six seasons. It's the only thing I could do was I was just I just was like Dan Levy saved my life. Um, I I was just absolutely. I, I lost eight pounds in four weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, just just you know. Thank wish you. I wish I could get that get that back. <laughs> I know. I just, I just wanted to pause on that for one second. Cause I wanted to really draw light to the fact that you're having to make like, and make some very big decisions and think during a time when you're like, it's just all cloudy. There's so much happening there. Um, before we go a little bit further, can you just tell the listeners, how old were you when you were diagnosed and when this happened and was this a routine check or did you find a lump? Yeah, sure. So um, I was 57. I'll be 58 next week, actually. Uh, And, you know, ironically, as I mentioned to you, my biopsy was two days before my birthday. Not only did the doctor, you know, tell me I needed chemo and mastectomy, he sort of breezed out of the room, leaving me clutching a hot water bottle and wished me a happy birthday. I'm like, yay. Um, I, so I actually, so I was the girl, I was very vigilant. I always have been very vigilant about my healthcare. Uh, I believe in facing things, uh, you know, head on, always went for my tests, do my colonoscopies, do my pap smears. Uh, and I always went for my mammogram. I had a baseline when I was 40 with my doctor. And then, you know, at 50 in the province of Ontario, where you live, where I live, um, you're you're essentially going every two years they kind of send you a letter and so you know they should be doing one at 50 and then every two years i'm actually i disagree with the two years i think it should be annual but that's another story um so i had been in 
2019, December 2019, I had gone for my routine mammogram and it was fine. In the words of my my surgeon who called up that scan, he said it was perfect. And so I really just never, never assumed anything. Uh, I had booked, because of COVID, there was a little bit of a delay. So I had booked it in October and it was actually scheduled for March. Um, and then in January, I was in the bathtub. And, you know, just doing a right routine self-exam as I do. And I found this lump on the left side and I kind of did what women do. I sat on it for a couple of weeks thinking, what, 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 this can't be kind of, you know, secretly kind of feeling it every now and then, you know, you kind of duck below a zoom on the camera and kind of feel it It's like still there, still there. So a couple of weeks passed and I thought, well, I better go see the doctor. So I went to see the GP. Uh, it was right down under my areola. And uh, she felt it and it was very round. So that was the other thing that was kind of, for me, didn't feel what I had been told feels like cancer. And she felt it. And she said, I think it's what they call an adenoma, which is a fatty cyst. Well, I have other fatty cysts on my body. So I thought, oh, okay. I felt I was kind of consoled by that. So um, she expedited my mammogram or changed my mammogram from being a routine one to being a diagnostic. So the machine goes, you're in there squished for a little while longer and they, they go right around you. Okay. And an ultrasound. And um, that was on the 10th of March. So I went in again, not really thinking anything of it, sort of joking around. They've, they've got this little sticker where you think the lump is. Uh, and uh, had my had my exam and uh, left uh, Freeport Hospital, the breast clinic, uh, went and grabbed some lunch, jumped on a call with a client. And a number comes up on my phone. And I was home. I my exam was at one o'clock in the afternoon, and the doctor's office was calling at just before four. Yeah, and and I, yeah, and as she had said to me, if I call, it's it's not good news. And then so I tried calling back, and they stopped answering the phone at four o'clock because it was four o'clock. Oh my gosh! So you then had and to I wait couldn't. all that night. Until, um, and I got a voicemail saying she needed to speak with me, but she was not going to be in. It was a Thursday. She was not going to be in the office on Friday. Oh, no. And so I Are had serious. I'm so sorry. That's sorry. That just like it hit me to a different level there because that's. Oh, not, yeah. Yeah. It, in on, I mean, I'm just going to say Ontario because we're both in Ontario. Like when you have a test and you get a call, like it's not. It's not when I had my, I had an MRI, no, on a Friday that I waited three times for during COVID and I had it on Friday by seven o'clock on Saturday morning, the hospital was calling my house saying you have to be here. And I was like, I just not good. Like they don't call us. They don't call. Yes. Right. So they never, they never call when it's, they're quick with the bad news. They are not, they never tell you after, you know, if it's good news, you never hear a game sort of thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. So I knew, I knew. I knew. And I, that one, I didn't even watch Schitt's Creek on that one. I just went to bed. I literally ran up. I, I called my husband. I was in like a panic and I just went upstairs and lay in bed and just, just, I was just like, yeah. Cause I knew, I knew. And so, yeah. So, and, and then it, you know, then it was the surprise of, oh, there's not one tumor. There's three. And uh, they use something called, um, a, it's a score they use to to um, review radiology. It's called BIRADS. Okay. And it's the Breast Imaging Radiology Assessment is what it stands for. And there's a score between zero and five. Zero being, don't worry, nothing to worry about. Five being, oh, this is exhibiting all of the signs of cancer. 
and I was five on all three. Oh. So I knew, I knew that it was, you know, long before I even had my biopsy, I knew that it was cancer. So mm-hmm. there's about a four week period where I was just sucking my thumb. <laughs> oh, just. you know what? Thank you for sharing that because I don't like it. This is a piece. I mean, some people are going to look at you and see people who know you, you know, she's so strong. This is like her, her headspace. She's able to do these things. And I think it's so important that we don't skip over sharing those points where it's like, oh no, I spent like, I had days, extended oh. time where I couldn't oh. get up and function. And I think that's so important. And I appreciate you sharing that. Oh, I used to, I used to literally, I it was weird. I slept well, but I, I would um, wake up in the morning and I would think I am waking up into a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And I would just say to myself, I would give myself a little pep talk and I would say, Ellen, just put your feet on the floor. You've got to keep going. And I had friends again, everybody was, you know, you're going to be strong. You got this. I had friends sending me breathing routines. The only thing that worked for me, I was in this room um, and my husband just didn't understand. Like he just, he still to this day is struggling, you know? Um, he got very stuck in denial and uh, he got also stuck in acceptance, but we're still working on that, but yeah. um, he just kept saying, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. You're under, you're, you know, you, you know, stop, stop worrying. You know, you're overreacting, you're overreacting. And I was in this room sitting just on this other side of the table and I was on the floor and I couldn't get off the floor. I felt like I had been punched in the gut and how the wind had been sucked out of me. And I just, and I found a, a tapping routine that was actually built for, it was this lady out of, she was a yogi out of Toronto, I think. And she has this uh, breathing tapping routine, you know, touching the meridian points. And I, and I did it multiple times and it was the only thing that kind of simmered me down when I discovered that. In fact, I was feeling kind of disconcerted yesterday and I went back to it and did it again because, and after I did it, I burst into tears. And then again, my husband, not understanding, he said, he thought I should go to the hospital because I was crying like (laughs) horribly. And he's like, we need to go to the ER. I'm like. I'm, I'm having a little meltdown. Here. I'm allowed to cry and it's okay, but they don't like, like, they like to fix things, right? Like this is a, I just should. Yeah. That. But that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good statement. Yeah. And he's, and he's uh, used to me being the kind of fixer in the, yeah. yeah and the strong yeah. one in the family. So, yeah. So that was, that was interesting, but um, yeah. So that, you know, that helped a little bit. And then weirdly, once you kind of are into the program, like once I got through the biopsy and that was terrifying for me, but then it wasn't so bad. Like the, it, I remember asking my doctor again, I said, does it hurt? And she's like, I don't know, <laughs> but it didn't. So if anybody has to go through a biopsy, they are actually great and it doesn't hurt. And, uh, you know, don't, cause you know, people will, it's like pregnancy. They come out with all their horror stories. Like, Oh my God, I, you know, I got carried down the hall afterward. It's like, okay, well it actually wasn't that bad. And then you just kind of get into, you know, a routine, right? You, you start mating with the surgeon and, you know, it depends. Like again, breast cancers are all different. So, uh, depending, they have this very elaborate workflow that they follow that's set out by people that are much smarter than, I'll ever be. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so depending on a whole bunch of different conditions and factors, you, you are off on a pathway. And it's interesting, because I've talked to many, many women who have breast cancer, no one has actually had the same pathway, like it's it's so unique and individualized. So in my case, it was surgery first. And then you, one of the things you share with me before we started was that you had surgery first, but you were in the space of there were three options. 
mm-hmm. that would happen. Mm-hmm. Can you just share what that process was like? For yeah. You? So because I had three tumors in my left breast, they had to investigate to see uh, what the distribution of the tumors was. So I, we knew right at the time of my biopsy, the doctor told me that I was not a candidate for lumpectomy or they, uh, or they, so there were three options, uh, depending on not whether, so sometimes when you have a mastectomy, um, they don't have to do radiation. So if your lymph nodes are not involved and mine were showing that they were, there was no involvement of cancer in the lymph nodes all the way along. Um, and so if they didn't have to do radiation, I could have been a candidate for what they call immediate reconstruction. And in hindsight, in a rearview mirror, would I have taken that option? Maybe, I don't know. Right. Um, so that's where you basically go to sleep. They remove your breasts and they then put implants in right away. And so you wake up with new boobs. Sounds pretty good to me. Right. I, I, you know, and it would be nipple sparing and, you know, it was like, oh, okay. I just wake up with a different size of boobs. Okay. That sounds pretty good. Um, it's a long, difficult surgery. I mean, they are, they're, you're in surgery probably for 10 to 12 hours. Oh, wow. You know, in that case. Yeah. Uh, so the other would have been, oh, it's, a, it's a, it's something called an oncoplasty where they take, um, they remove the cancerous tissue and then they remake you a little boob sometimes with nipple sparing. Um, and, um, uh, then they reduce you on the other side so that you match. So I kind of thought I was a D cup before I was never in love with my D cups. So I'm like, Oh, kind of liking the idea about being an A cup. I think that would be kind of cool. So I was kind of in love with that one. Uh, and my doctor loves doing oncoplasties. And again, the wide diagram he was drawing for me was definitely showing nipple sparing. We like, we cut you here. I think he really genuinely thought that that was going to be an option for me. Okay. So he sent me off for an MRI. Mm-hmm. And so I used to joke, I'm like, I'm going to wake up with new boobs, little boobs or no boobs. Those were the three scenarios. And at this point I was kind of like, all right, you know, whatever. So they did the MRI, met with the surgeon about 10 days later. And he said, um, you know, unfortunately, the tumors are distributed in such a way that they're not grouped together. There's one that's just a little too far out. I can't guarantee that I'm going to be able to take enough and that we'll have clean margins. I don't want to put you back through this again. The only option is a mastectomy. Um, And then he's like, I'll bring in the forms. You sign off. and surgeries." I think it was the 18th of May I met with him and I had my surgery on the 31st. So even though I had done all this preparation and thinking about it and everything else, you're like in that moment having to make like lifetime decisions for what your body is going to be like. Um, the other thing that I should mention is, so then the choice becomes, do I take one breast? So in, in Ontario, the surgical guidance is you take only one breast. If that's, you know, if that's the disease tissue. No, there's not. Oh, and there are a bunch of studies, apparently, somewhere, obviously written by men that say, oh, women are just fine. You know, they'll just be fine with one breast, not a woman that I've ever talked to anyways. And so he actually said, I'm going to just take the left side. And I said, what about both sides? He says, whoa, 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 whoa. just just simmer down. This is an emotional thing. Let's okay. just. That feels right? condescending, but okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I know. I know. And he was pretty good, but there's a lot worse out there. I'll tell you. Yeah. Um, I've got stories. And um, so he, uh, he said, sleep on it. 
And so I went home and I didn't sleep at all. Of course, I'm up at 3am researching surgical guidance in Ontario. And so I knew what I was talking about. So I called him in the morning and, and left voicemail and he got right back to me actually. And I said to him, I am not going to be a unibook. I love my clothing. I can vision myself dressing flat. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I should mention is the way if I had, if I had opted for reconstruction, so that would have been, I take one side, then they reconstruct the other down the road. And what they do is uh, they use an implant, but they, um, there's a lot of problems with implant rejection, yeah. skin necrosis, like it just grows out of your skin. And so they, they actually take um, tissue from your body and they wrap the implant in tissue from your body. Mm-hmm. So it's a much bigger surgical ordeal. They usually take it from your abdomen. I don't have a belly. Mm-hmm. Some ladies love it because they get a tummy tuck um, or other places of your body. But the only option for me, because I'm slender, would have been they would have taken my lat muscle. So they would have carved my lat muscle out and come around and, and I'm like, no, that's hard. No. So he knew that. And so I said, you know what? I'm just going to go with flat. I'm just going to opt for flat. I can, I can vision myself. And he was fine. He was really, really good about that. But I have heard stories about doctors refusing to take the second breast. So have I, um, and that's that I, I have heard that I've interviewed a few people where that has come up and I, I just, I appreciate you sharing that part because, you know, again, we're in this space where you're trying to process everything that's happening, still advocate for yourself, do a ton of research, figure out what your next decisions are going to be. It's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. And so many women either end up because again, flat enclosure wasn't even raised as a possible option for me ever. I brought it up to him because a girlfriend had told me about it and he'd done it and he was fine with it. But he kind of poo-pooed it a little bit. He's like, oh, it's a really big scar. But, you know, putting a patient through three or more surgeries and a lot of complications, that's okay. I mean, it's just funny, you know, and and a lot of women find themselves down this pathway of reconstruction because they're just not made aware that that's that there's other options for them or they end up single-breasted because somebody seeds their mind with doubt and, you know, and they end up really hating themselves. And uh, I've had women reach out to me and say, I just want to look good in a bathing suit again, you know, and I, or I, I've had one breast removed and I can't mm-hmm. find somebody to take the other one Well, I've because heard you're that. waiting. Yeah. I've heard that because then they're waiting. And I've also heard stories of, you know, there is no issue with the other breast. And as you go through this process, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, Ooh, shoot. There's actually, we found something in the other side now. And it's like, wait, what? Yeah. It's, yeah. And I, don't and know I what mean, the number is there, it, but I know I, yeah, I they, that. there's not a lot of, sur- there's not a lot of research that supports that, that it's going to migrate. But yeah, I wasn't, that was part of my decision was look, you know, I was clean and new 219 and 2022. I'm like, I got three tumors, one of which was four and a half centimeters. That's, I that's can, funny. I can grow, I can grow some whoppers. Right. And so I'm like, I don't trust this side. Like she's, I, I, she's going, she's going too, right? I, and I, I even had, I even had him take uh, lymph nodes on both sides because I wanted, I wanted to be a hundred percent sure that we scoured the earth. Oh, so, I actually, I so respect how you're sharing that because I think that that's going to resonate with somebody who will be in that position and having to make those decisions. So as you went through it, give us, because I really want to highlight the work that you're doing now and what you're here doing. 
Is there anything you can share with us during that, that stage of time as you went through? What was like treatment like for you? How did you stumble into the work that you're here to do now? And because yeah. you have a different position from what a lot of people that people might not even know is a possibility. So I would love for you to share that. Yeah. I mean, so I'm, I mean, my professional background, I'm a communicator. And so it was, um, that's how I, you know, I either talk or write. Mm-hmm. And so I started journaling. Um, just, uh, in fact, I bought my first, I bought the journal that I've used. It's tucked away in a drawer now, but I bought it the day of my first surgeon's meeting and I bought it down at uh, this little uh, stationery shop where she's, she's just a lovely lady, you know, sole proprietorship. And I was, I was crying as I was buying it and she was just so sweet and she cried with me. And then we had like a hug it out sort of thing. Cause I was so scared about going to this surgeon's meeting. And um, so I, I started journaling and then, and then I started just getting mad. So when I found it, I had to have a mastectomy. I started looking around cause I love my clothes, love my clothes. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, am I going to have to throw all my clothes out because things are going to fit me differently. And people told me that things would fit differently. And so I started and I had, it's funny how things start. I had bought two bathing suits from this company called Andy's and I'd always been a bikini girl, but I'd found these like one piece bathing suits that I really liked and they had like a plunging neckline and I actually really liked, and they were expensive. They were like $300 and I had bought them that summer and I was so pissed off that I was going to have to get rid of my Andy's bathing suits. And so I started writing to brands women owned brands like on LinkedIn. I, and I was like, because I was Googling and I was so upset by what I was seeing, which was, you know, dressing for a mastectomy, you know, you have to wear big patterns and you have to wear, um, you know, a scarf around your neck to hide the fact that your, your, your breasts are, are, are changed or not balanced or, you know, a prosthetic or whatever. And, and it was just so humiliating to me to think that, you know, it was basically the the message I was getting back from from medical professionals and just society was, well, Alan, you know, pull on your granny panties and, uh, you know, get your uh, get your moo moo on because you know you, you're you're now an old lady and you got to go like all yeah, downhill, it's all, da- all downhill from yeah. here sort of thing. And I'm like, I am not. That's not going to be okay. So I was talking to a girlfriend and she's like, you know, you should write a story for this. So I happened to know the opinion editor at the Globe and Mail. So I reached out to her and she's like, yeah, let's do this. So I wrote an opinion piece for the Globe and uh, about going flat and about, you know, not hiding in a corner, uh, kind of a bit of a call to arms. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, I was shocked actually. It came out, it was in the print edition of the weekend in uh, it was just before I, I uh, started chemo, it came out and um, it was a full page. And I'm like, I'm a PR person. So I'm kind of used to like, that would be a big score for anybody, but I wrote it. And that was kind of like this point of pride. Um, and I started getting flooded. People were finding me. They were emailing me. They were coming in through my LinkedIn. They were messaging me on my website. I had this one gentleman, just a sweet gentleman who lost his wife to um, brain cancer, but she had breast cancer, sent me photos of her. And it was just like this love letter that he wrote. And it was just so beautiful. And I was like, holy crap, Ellen, you have touched a big old nerve. 
I had academics who were, you know, specializing in feminism who were finding me on Twitter. And so that kind of lit a bit of a fire under me. And then, and then I thought, gee, I'm, I'm, I mean, I have dark sense of humor and I'm kind of going through this and I'm seeing kind of the funny, weird bits of all of this. And so I thought, maybe I should just write a book. I always thought about writing a book, but I never thought, I never knew what I would write about. So go figure, this is the book I end up writing. And I started writing this and it flowed out of me. I, I would write, like, as I'm going to bed, I was writing on my phone, mm-hmm. thumb, thumb typing chapters. And, um, and I started writing through chemo. And then it was kind of funny because I actually, when I was in chemo, I ran into myself. So I, I ran out of material. Um, like I'd actually intersected with myself on the journey. And I remember saying to my oncologist, I'm writing this book and I need more material. And she goes, Oh, we'll give you more material. All right. So, um, yeah. So, uh, anyways, I finished the book and it's, I'm going to publish on Amazon. And so, and then as part of that, I again started realizing, so I started a Instagram account called flat, please, mm-hmm. which is the title of the book. And, uh, I've got about uh, about 1200 followers. I just started it before Christmas and women are not almost not a day that goes by that. I don't get a question from a woman or someone that reaches out and just, you know, sometimes it's about going flat. Sometimes it's about chemo. Mm -hmm. Apparently, uh, me growing hair is a, um, subject of fascination. They all really enjoy my reels where I'm talking about my hair and my hair regrowth. Um, but they're all saying, you know, thank you so much that, you know, they, they just feel like they need somebody to hold their hand. So I never, ever say the word, you got this. I hate that. I will say, I, I'm, I'm here to hold your hand because that's oh. what we really, that's what we really need right now. Right. And I just want to pause on that for one second. So when a person is in that situation and you hear, you've got this, how does that make you feel? And why do you choose the words that you do? Um, because I just, and it, it, everybody's different. Some people take that as a real, you know, note of encouragement. And I think when I first was diagnosed and somebody said it, I was like, yeah, okay, okay, okay. And then it just got to be kind of trite and a little um, pep rally-ish. Um, and that's not really what this is about. And you are so traumatized. And you don't know if you've got this. I mean, I know quite a number of women who are metastatic, who have stage four cancer, who, you know, um, it's, it's scary. It's scary. And we don't really need platitudes and, and pep rally stuff. We just need somebody to sit with us. All right. You know? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I really wanted to touch on that point because the other thing I, I find if I hear you've got this and maybe this is just me, but my take from that is like, okay, I'm on my own then. Like I'm on my own to, because I'm strong. I'm, everybody just expects I'm going to figure it out on my own. And I think yeah. that's the piece when you're dealing with something like this is that you don't want women to feel like they're completely on their own on the island, figuring it out, navigating their families, like making the best decisions. Like you're, I, I never wanted a mom. Not that you know my mom's gone, but I w- I never wanted the 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 I the notion of a mom more. I wanted somebody to sit with me and just Beautiful. give me a big old mom hug. Yeah, uh, and there were moments, and I had a good friend who was really amazing, and and you know was really she was like a nanny to me, like she just was here and she would sit with me and cry because again, my husband was equally traumatized, if not more so than I was, and he could not provide that comfort. It was just not 
And I give him the grace that that's just not who he is, but um, he couldn't, he didn't have the capacity to give me the comfort that I needed. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, if you find a a friend or someone that can be with you, that, you know, can just feed you nuts and pour you a cup of tea and just sit and hold you while you cry, that's pretty good, you know? Thank you for sharing that. Seriously, thank you for sharing that. So as you are on this, this, um, I'm going to say mission, you are, because I think it is a mission, but you are very, like I see, and I love the work that you're doing. And I mean, everything I have will be in the show notes, but I mean, honestly, follow Ellen, because (laughs) I love your social media and how you share and what you do is this piece that, you know, we can love our scars. We can like be proud of who we are. It's okay that we look different than what we originally thought that we would. And all of those things might be very like, yes, they can be very traumatizing to women in a sense, but you're leading a way to show, to embrace those parts of yourself. Yeah, it was, um, it was always a big regret of mine that I never had a photo shoot done when I was pregnant because I love being pregnant. And Mm -hmm. so it was funny when I, when I was kind of in chemo, uh, I reached out to this photographer friend of mine, Hillary, who I absolutely adore. And she just was, you know, she does extraordinary work. He did the cover for my book. I love. Yeah. And yeah. she just was in, she just, her work was just in people magazine again. Yeah. And I reached out to Hill. I've worked with her a bunch and I just said, I need to document this. Mm-hmm. And I, it, this is, this is a, and it was part of it was just taking back my own power and feeling beautiful again. And it's weird because I mean, I don't think I've, I've actually never been a particularly self-confident person. I've always really watched my weight, you know, all those things like, you know, I'm that kind of like, and so uh, never felt particularly beautiful, you know? And so uh, anyway, we went and did this photo shoot and it was really cool. It was, so she had her two young assistants there. She was there. My friend was there and she brought in a makeup artist and um we did this shot and i was like who is this woman like i didn't even recognize myself because i mean i'm not you know the girl that's going to strut around in her underwear right and so i had this i found this underwear line that is out of the uk that actually is built for flatties like me and it's actually beautiful and it doesn't look like you know a playtex nursing bra and um so i was wearing this underwear and then i just took my top off and i was like you know, proudly displaying my scars. I should call my battle ones. Those are the only scars I actually have, by the way. I've never even had stitches before this all happened. And so now I've got these like big scars. Like I, I actually look like Superman. They kind of come up like this. Um, and uh, it was just like, yeah, the whole room just went silent. I took my top off and just all these young girls had never seen anything. And it, I recognize it. So like for me, it's become quite normal, but it is jarring. It is jarring for someone to see for the first time, this woman that has had her breast removed. Um, the one thing I'll say with Dr. Dan, my, my, my surgeon is he did spectacularly good work. Like it's beautiful, beautiful work. And so I'm quite proud of those, but yeah, it was, it was really important to me. And then those images ended up, um, you know, because of Hillary's connections, uh, people magazine got a hold of them and, and ended up running a story. And so um, Wait, and again, don't skip over that for a second. When was that okay. story? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> when was that story in people? Uh, so I, we did the photo shoot in August mm-hmm. and it was right at the tail end of October. So October is breast cancer awareness month. Yeah. And so, yeah, so people, people did a, a story on me and then 
yeah, it, it obviously performed very well because then people came back and did a people TV episode on me. And it was just funny because they raided my Instagram. And it was just funny. They got all these little videos from my Instagram of me like ringing the bell, finishing chemo. And it was like, I'm like, you're, you're clever little monkeys, you know? So, um, so it was a top performing story that week. So, um, yeah. And then, you know, again, all, all of a sudden I get this flood of women who come in and find me through various means. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it just, it just, you know, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a big platform to be able to share my story and just, and I do have many women um, who will say, thank you. I feel good about myself. I don't feel like a freak anymore. I feel I feel much more accepting because I've seen that you can do it and I see you accepting yourself and now I'm going to accept myself. And that, that makes my heart just, you know, I'm that, that makes it all worthwhile. Well, your husband was very mad at me, by the way, for doing people. He was not a happy camper, but (laughs) it was way too out there for him. He was, he was just, I think he was worried about what people would say or how people would see us or treat us or it's just interesting to have these Mars and Venus perspectives, right? But well, you know. but you're putting your story and 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 much like how like well, I share a platform, I t- I share stories all the time. I share my story. My husband's actually quite private, yeah, and, yeah. And it's and it's and I know it's not always easy for him because it's like we'll be somewhere and somebody will say something and then they'll say something to him and he's like, who is that? Like, how do we? <laughs> like, it's just people. It's it is part of that. It's part of it. And so it can be a bit of a Mars and Venus sometimes because, you know, but you're doing it with the right intentions. And this is the, the beautiful thing. You're built yeah. for this. Sorry, but you are built for this. Like this is, this is, yeah. you, you're doing something that I believe I think is A, incredible. B, you are stepping into doing something with your story that will continue to help others. So when yeah. you think back to yourself, as you just said, almost a year ago, right? Getting your diagnosis, remembering how you felt so alone, how you felt so like, I don't even want to talk to anyone. I'm going to stay on my couch. I'm going to, and there's nothing wrong with those moments, but to mm-hmm. where you are now. Yeah. You are, are you almost like amazed at like, you look at like how, how you're connected, surrounded by people. Now they're able to help and support that maybe you can help somebody who is not going to feel as alone for as long as you did. I, that's exactly what I want. And and, and yeah. it's actually the, like the intention of my book is that it's, I mean, it's my story, um, mm-hmm. you know, which I hope is people find uh, one of the ladies from the hospital is in comms read it. And she said, is it weird that I'm enjoying somebody's cancer journey? So I hope people enjoy the story and can relate to it. But in each chapter, I include resources. So Back to doing the homework. Many women, you're when you're in that white noise moment and you don't know where to go, and Google is not your friend, and you know, or you're just you're so private and you just don't want to look because yeah. you're afraid of what you're going to find. And so there are uh, resources that I've included. They'll they'll sit on a website, not in the book itself, but um, that will be related to that particular moment in the journey. So if you know, the doctor's saying we're going to do a breast MRI. I'd never had an MRI before. So, you know, here's what a breast MRI looks like. And here's what, here's, you know, what the procedure's like, and here's what to expect. And so I try and include, and some of them are funny, you know, some of them I'm like, I, in chapter one, I have a link to Schitt's Creek because that's what helped me. 
right? Or Moira Rose's wig wall, you know, because I, I had my own wig wall. So, um, you know, I, I have tried to include, do the homework for that woman who isn't either, doesn't have that research capacity, doesn't know how to discern between good and bad information, or just doesn't, you know, have the time or the, the mental acuity at that moment because of the shock to, to do it. So that's my dream is that this book becomes a resource for that. Like, I just want it to be like the girlfriend's companion guide to breast cancer. Cause there's lots of stuff out there that, you know, shares the story and there's, you know, Dr. Susan loves breast book, which is fantastic, but it's written by a clinician and it's, you know, good, useful information, but it's, there's no emotional connection to it. Right. So that's, I just want to do that work or bottle it up so that I can help others. And I know I have helped others. I know I have helped others. Um, a story not long after I, you know, again, I sat on my diagnosis for a little while and then finally felt okay about going public with it. And I posted something and a whole bunch of women came forward and said, yep, Ellen, we'll go for mammograms, you know, because I did this, like, please go, please go. I was the girl that went and I still got caught with my pants down. So please go. Yeah. 17 women initially came forward and said, yep, we'll all go for mammograms. Ellen, for you, we'll do it. And more since then, I still have ladies that will like, they'll see me in this for my mammogram and I'm like yes good thing um two of those women came back with breast cancer two of the first 17 two of that for wow what are the stats now can I ask that do you know it's uh it's yeah so it's one in eight women in their lifetime will have breast cancer um and it does seem to be hitting younger women I'm not sure what what's going on there there's i think it's about 28,000 women in canada are diagnosed a year with breast cancer about 300,000 in the united states so it's it's a it's epidemic proportions definitely you know women in their 50s as they hit menopause i mean there's some really good research happening there's things like breast cancer vaccines and things like that but i did a summary i know probably 15 women personally who all have breast cancer or have been survivors or whatever but yeah two of the 17 came back with breast cancer and the irony was uh, one of them was a very good friend of mine. Um, well, two are very good friends of mine. But the weird thing is when we got to radiation, I did the pits up. They got diagnosed early enough that they were able to have a lumpectomy and just radiation. I had the chemo. Um, I got the full meal deal. Um, but they were a little behind me. And when I went to have my radiation tattoos, they do like a rehearsal, dress rehearsal for radiation. And they do these little tiny tattoos on your chest. And I was going for my tattoos and dress rehearsal. And the two of them were there having radiation treatment. And we had like this group hug it out in the Grand River <laughs> Cancer. And the lady that was like greeting me, she's like, what the hell's going on here? Like, <laughs> I was like wow. the social convener. And there was another woman that was also there that day that I also know. So there were four of us, women that I know quite well, all having radiation the same day. It's just... It's again, no, that just puts the, num- the numbers in perspective, right? Like that's just yeah. numbers in perspective. Yeah. And my girlfriend, the one girlfriend wasn't doing, she wasn't going for mammograms. She wasn't doing her self-check. She just did a self-check just because I had been diagnosed and it scared her mm-hmm. and she found a lump and she knew to advocate for herself because her mammogram came back and said she was fine, but her lump was quite high mm-hmm. and I don't know whether, and she's small breasted. And so she advocated for herself. She went back to the doctor. She says, no, I feel a lump. And they did an ultrasound. And sure enough, they found a 1.5 centimeter tumor. And so she she says, she's a good friend of mine. She says, Ellen, it's 
swear on my life that you saved my life. Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And I, again, just to share the power of like being the advocate for yourself, because I don't know how I, I, and I, even my small circle, I have met and known people who were not on the risk spectrum, whichever that is anymore, because I think that it's it's actually only, it's actually only 20% of women so I was, I, I bought into that too. I said, I had no history yeah. of breast cancer. It's only 20% of women have any history of breast cancer. Okay. That's good to know. Thank you for sharing that because yeah. I have a friend whose daughter is 28 and she's just finished a very extensive, um, one year pretty much with, um, chemo radiation and yeah, poor you know, girl. Out of nowhere. And she fought and she's like, she is in a medical type profession and she's like, something I can feel it. I can feel it. I can feel it. They're like too young, too young, too young. And it's like, but those are some of the ones you don't want to miss either. Not that you don't want to miss any. No, no. Well, yeah, because it's, it's more aggressive. It's typically a more aggressive cancer when they're younger. Uh, And yeah, I know another woman, she's 32 who also had to fight like hell to, to get them. Like you have to be, yeah, because squeaky wheel gets the grease in the medical community. In our, yeah, I'm going to say, I'm going to say that in our medical community, especially Ontario, I'm going to say that like you, you have to advocate and push. So I love that you're speaking and sharing because this is going to only empower more women to do, to get tests done, to ask the questions, to advocate. And I think that's, we can't make decisions without that. Yeah. And I mean, this would be just for any listeners in, well, so in the United States, um, there's a few other things that women need to know. So in the United States, they're actually a little further ahead of us. So you have a mammogram starting at the age of 40 and they do it annually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if a woman has dense breasts and it's now FDA legislation has just passed that women have to be told their density. Uh, and that's, we're moving in that direction here in Canada as well. Dense breasts, mammograms do not see through dense breast material. And mm-hmm. so you have to have a sonogram or an ultrasound on top of it. So you have to advocate for yourself there too. So it's important to know that because it's easy to miss something small. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I work with Jenny Dale at Dense Breast Canada, uh, who's advocating across the provinces here. Uh, and there's some good movement that, you know, it's been a real uphill climb, but there is some good movement. Um, I'm strongly advocating, as is Jenny and her team, to see uh, mammograms start at 40 and to be performed annually because we are missing people. And so it's important for women to know, even if that legislation preventative guidelines haven't changed, I wish I'd known this. Uh, if you are 40, you can go to your doctor and request a mammogram. The doctor should not be denying you ever. So don't allow this benevolent paternalism to happen. You fight. And uh, Dense Press actually gives language on their website for women to use with their doctors. Um at the age of 50, again, this is what I wish I'd known. Uh, I was waiting for the letter every two years. I could have self-preferred for a mammogram. I can go annually and I didn't know that. And if I had, if I'd gone in 2022 or tw- uh, sorry, 2021, geez, maybe I might not have had chemo, right? Mm-hmm. Like my gress- my tumor was pretty aggressive. It was growing like fast, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, so yeah. Anyways, should have, would have, could have. But, no, but if I can tell other women, that. like you are, you're sharing that. And that's really important because people don't know these things. And I think this is, I think this is, this is another part of what we're doing here is we want to yeah. 
be able to pass on and educate people. So as yeah, we, we need to reach racialized communities, right? So black women tend to be uh, tend to develop more aggressive forms of breast cancer tends to happen earlier in their forties. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so we need to reach and women, you know, can't be scared of a mammogram, like seriously, like, you know, I'll tell you from personal experience, what happens? Like I had a woman reach out the other day and she said, I don't know, there's radiation, you get radiation from a mammogram. And I'm like, eh, it's about the equivalent of two months worth of ambient environmental radiation. Yeah, there's a little bit of radiation. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you, you get breast cancer, you're going to get a hell of a lot more radiation. <laughs> wow. I'm like, you know, I, you can't, I, I, you can't be scared because life is life on the other side ain't fun. No. And I think that, again, that's what's so important about everything that you're sharing here. Um, as you're coming into, like this is, we're coming up to that year anniversary of you being diagnosed. And by the time your book releases, it will be close to the year of when you finished chemo. Is that yeah, correct? Chemo th- yeah. I'll finish chemo in end of September and finished radiation end of November. So yeah, I've got a few anniversaries to, to get through. I think it's, you know, it's, it's typically they watch you for five years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, every year that passes, fingers crossed. Yeah. You know, exactly. that's the thing, you know, I don't want to look over my shoulder, but you know, and I've done everything I possibly can to prevent recurrence, but it does happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, a, uh, nobody wants to look over their shoulder, but we also want to be conscious and, you know, aware. And I, and I think this uh, is part of the conversation that you're having. Yeah. And I think, you know, I just, I always practice vigilance, uh, you know, with my health and I figure, well, you know, better to know than not, because mm-hmm. then you can do something about it. So denial's not a good strategy. So, you know, I'm, I, I'm just trying to continue to kind of practice what I've always practiced. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, kind of not enjoying, I'm kind of enjoying not having to be, you know, in and out of hospitals and tubes. Um, you know, I do have to go back. Uh, I go back every six months to see my oncologist and I have to have an infusion for my bones because there's all these other side effects that happen when you're on medications and, you know, apparently, you know, osteoporosis and, and I, I'm lucky. I really escaped a lot of the really awful side effects, uh, through treatment and everything else. I was just really healthy when I went into it. So I've been very, very lucky, but there's lots of women that are dealing, you know, there's treatments that affect people's hearts and mm-hmm. yeah, it's not a cakewalk. It's, it's a, it comes with a lifetime membership. I, I have to say, I actually appreciate the dark sense of humor, but that's just me. I do. I do. <laughs> I do. I think it's, a, I think it's because this is real life facts, right? Like we're like, like we don't need to sugarcoat this kind of stuff because this is real and this is, yep. this is life. So I love the work that you're doing, everything that you're sharing. We, how can we best, well, first off, directing people to you and how can we best um, support you as your book is coming out as we are in this process? Yeah, well, you know, certainly. So there's a few things. So I'm, I'm on Instagram, I'm and Twitter, I'm known as flat, please. Mm-hmm. Apparently, I've got like a whole new identity. Uh, and my website is flatplease.com as well. And that's where resources. So if someone finds themselves diagnosed, my book will be available on Amazon. That's the intention. Uh, and it's again, the flat please is the name. So it should be easy to, to find and hopefully people enjoy it. So, uh, or find value in it. I think that's even more important. 
the resources will all live on my website. So, you know, and I'll, I'll work to, to make sure that those are always current and maintained. Um, and then just, you know, I think just for me, just, just go get your mammograms, uh, advocate for yourself. You know, um, we need to be talking about women's health in general. Women are, um, victimized by the health system. And if anybody ever finds themselves in, you know, a situation, unfortunately, where they are diagnosed and they, you know, people reach out to me all the time and I will, I will respond. You know, I get into conversations with ladies all the time. So if I can help, I'm, I'm here to do so. Oh, thank you for sharing that. And I mean, for anybody who's listening, if you're in that space that you, you are struggling with advocating for yourself, whatever it's about, please know there's always, I, I firmly believe that there's always women who are willing to have your back, give you that little bit of a like kick to advocate for yourself. Just don't do it alone. Like just please. Yeah. Yeah. We, we kind of joke and say, you know, I said cancer comes with a lifetime membership. It is a club that nobody ever wants to belong to, but it has some really amazing members. I've made some amazing friends Mm. in the U S across Canada, women I've never even met who I now consider to be really close friends. So it is, it is a pretty amazing supportive community when you do find it and you find the right, the right tribe, you know, that are, that are positive and the flatties are a bunch of crazy women. We like to wander around without our tops on all the time. So. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I love this. I love this. Thank you so much for being here and everything that you've shared, Ellen. Honestly, I have one more question for you and it is what lesson in life are you most grateful for? What lesson in life am I most grateful for? Um, I'm grateful for my resilience. I'm, I'm, I'm really, uh, you are, um, this puts you to the test. And so, um, I'm very grateful that I have good bounce good and, 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 uh, yeah, that, uh, you're a lot tougher and a lot stronger than you ever realize. Um, so yeah, I'm very grateful for that. I'm grateful for lots of things. Mm. I say, I love you a lot. (laughs) Good. I like it. I love it. Oh, thank you so much for being here, honestly. And we're just, I can't wait to see your book and continue to, you know, build this and connect this relationship and share it out there. I love the work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Marsha. It's been fabulous. What a great chat. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. If you love this episode, I invite you to tag me on social media with your takeaways or share it with a friend. Please, if you feel called, take 30 seconds to leave a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. Until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.